lucky? I, <laughs> we'll find out, I guess, right? <laughs> but uh, yesterday I had a moment where it's like, I remember, wait, there's a gala I'm supposed to go on in April, and I panicked that I didn't have, but I looked it up. It's the 21st, is that right? Yes. Yes, so it's out there, and I'll be there. Well, let's begin with a, with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the graces you poured into our lives in this season of Lent. As it comes to a close and we enter into the mysteries of Holy Week, we ask you to continue to open our hearts for the graces you desire to pour into our hearts, that we might be able to see the love your Son shows in his passion on his cross, so that we might better enjoy the graces of the resurrection. We ask this through the same Christ, our Lord. Thank you for the invitation. Once again, I'm Father Juan Jose Hernandez, chaplain at, at Holy Spirit Prep. Until, maybe you don't know, until June, I am the chaplain. I just uh, had mass today with the students, and I told them I'm getting a new assignment. And I'll be moving out of the state. So oh, my just, goodness. It's, uh, yeah, bittersweet. bittersweet. I've been, all my priesthood, all but 12 months of these 10 years have been spent there. So, and so I, I told the students today, but it was very beautiful because I, I prepared a letter last night, an email to send to the families at 11 o'clock this morning. It went out, mass finished just before 11 o'clock. It was all planned out. And I said, uh, the thing that my desire, my one thing that I want is that when I leave, people have come closer to Christ, right? And it's okay if they're missing me or not. It's that they, they're anchored in Christ. So I asked one of the seniors, he was distracted at Mass. So I, before Mass began, they're getting in their place. I asked him, what, what should I offer the Mass for, Nick? And Nick says, that as we go to college, we all persevere in our friendship with Christ. And I was like, well, if that's what's on your mind, then it's not, it's not that I get a scholarship that I'm applying for, that it's not, that that's what's on your mind. I was like, okay, good, I'm at peace, right? So, but, but anyways, it'll be sad. To say, to say goodbye to some of the families, families of alumni as well, like the Gibbs, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll be able to have those moments, but um, I think it's also, in a way, something as well to offer up, at least I can offer up during this time of, of, of Lent, and I can't say yet where I'm going, well, I'm going to a university as a chaplain, but that university hasn't announced, so I have to wait till tomorrow. But just know it's a university within a seven-hour radius. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you can pray for me. Well, as we begin, enter. this is a great time, by the way, to have a, a Bible study and a, a reflection. And what I would really invite, it's easy in a sense because the liturgies, even just on Sunday, there's so much there. If you don't have it, get your Magnificat for, for Holy Week. You know, there's a special one just for the week. And it has all the, not only all the prayers, but all the rubrics. And they're interesting, too, because they, they explain the reason why we do certain things. And one of the things that's beautiful as Mass begins, if you come to the Mass, I'm sure some of the Masses have the shorter form. And some, have, some of the Masses on Sunday will have the longer procession and everything. If you go to the longer ones, they will have, they won't skip anything. And there is this invitation that the priest has as Mass begins at the very beginning. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, since the beginning of Lent until now, we have prepared our hearts by penance and charitable works. We might stop and say, have I really prepared it by penance and charitable works? You know, I tried. Okay, we tried to prepare our hearts by <laughs> penance and charitable works. God can work with that. Today we gather together to herald with the whole church the beginning of the celebration of our Lord's Paschal Mystery. 
that is to say, of his passion and resurrection. For it was to accomplish this mystery that he entered his own city of Jerusalem. Therefore, with all faith and devotion, let us commemorate the Lord's entry into the city for our salvation, following in his footsteps, so that being made by his grace partakers of the cross, we may have a share also in his resurrection and in his life. Just in those lines, there's so much to impact. That could be material for meditation, for reflection. Time spent before the Blessed Sacrament, before the Blessed Sacrament is taken away on Holy Thursday. To be able to stop and say, okay, evaluating how my Lent has been. I mentioned that a penance and charitable works. And, and we know, nobody lives, oh, I can't say nobody. I don't live the perfect Lent. I don't know if someone, you know, you propose things and sometimes you do the right thing, but your heart's not in the right place. And you gotta go back and purify that. <clears throat> But we want to have penance and charitable works. Penance so as to, have, to be able to love more. When we're not able to love, when we see the opportunities, at school I always I tell the kids, you know, cafeteria's left in a mess. What a great opportunity for you to clean up a mess that's not yours. And they're like, why should I do that? First I say, because your mom has done that for you for years. So <laughs> reason number one. But, but also because it, it forms you. It's, it is a penance to clean somebody else's mess. But the more you do that, the more it opens your heart. Your heart dilates, and you're able to love more. And the charitable works come a lot easier. And that's the reason for our, our penances, which should obviously continue beyond Lent in a different context, to look at those so that we may love. And so we come, and it says, how are we going to accomplish this? Is we're going to walk with Christ, following in his footsteps into Jerusalem, his city, with faith and devotion the attitudes that we need to have as we go in. After the, the priest says this, there's a time of silence. And, and the procession as it begins, it's silent. And then there's the first gospel that's read, then the procession in, and then the longer passion narrative, which is a lot longer. And, um, but that even that beginning one sets the tone. And it has a beautiful, it's beautiful how the liturgy, even in its silence, can really set the tone. Because that first passage that's read is the gospel where Christ sends his, his apostles to go and get the colt. And when you're asked, uh, what are you doing? Say, well, the master has need of it. And they go and they find everything just like Christ had prepared it. And in that passage, there's a more than, it seems so random. Why are we hearing these details about go to a man carrying a jar and you'll see he has a colt and tell him the master has need of it and everything is going to be fine. Prepare the, the upper room for our, our last supper, for the, for the Passover. And you can imagine, of all the things that are written in the gospel, why is this in there? Well, it's not because in and of themselves those things are important. What's important is that Christ has prepared everything. Everything is according to plan. So if that's according to plan, then his betrayal he knew of, his institution of the Eucharist, his suffering, his passion, the scourging, the crowning with thorns, and so on and so on. It's all part of that plan, and he accepts it. He has agreed that this is what, what's going to happen, and he goes in peace. So that's the big picture. What we want to do as we, we go in, and I find very, oops, I need to get this, very helpful is that as we go, we enter the, the passion. In a way, we're entering into the Holy of Holies of the Mysteries of Christ. In the liturgy, every single moment, let me take that back. In the life of Christ, every single moment communicates grace. Everything he did, 
from being a baby in diapers to living a silent life in Nazareth to dying on the cross are all redeeming moments in the life of Christ. They all have before God the same value because in each one of them, Christ is practicing every virtue. When he's a baby, he's practicing perfect humility, much like he will on the cross. He is God and he has his diapers changed. He is a, he, he, he's a teenager who perhaps his parents didn't figure out what was, didn't quite understand him. And, and he's God, so everything he does in his humility, sorry, humanity is a huge leap in humility. But in the passion, it's much more visible. It's almost tangible. And I think that's why the, the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writers to slow down and give so many, so many details about the passion. It's amazing how disproportionate it is to everything else in the life of Christ. The passion, we're talking about some hours. And in most gospels, it's, in some of them, it's, it's a good third of the gospel, right? 20% to, to a third, describing detail after detail. Because there, and I think for them, it was just more vivid. Yes, he was, God become man when he was multiplying the bread. But when we see God allowing himself to be scourged and not rebelling, not sending lightning from above to burn those who are beating him, they really convinced me of my own pride in my life. So it's the holy of holies among the mysteries of Christ. This is the holy of holies. This is, this is sacred ground. And so we should go with that attitude. And as well, we seek to renew the remembrance of, of what Christ has done. At every Mass, we're remembering the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. That's why there's an altar. That's why there's a crucifix. That's why it's the words of blood that will be poured out for you. My body that will be given up for you. It's always sacrifice. But it's renewed in a special way during Holy Week. And one of the truths of, of the liturgy and in the gospel as a whole is that the virtues that we see in the life of Christ, we can ask for that virtue in that passage, in that moment, in that remembrance of the moment of the life of Christ. And God will give, you, give us that virtue. And that's a it becomes fuel for our, our prayer. I tell often the students when they struggle, they struggle with humility, maybe they're not getting along with siblings or their parents or their teachers or whoever it is. I ask them a few questions. Well, why is it? Why is it so difficult to, to not I don't know, talk back to your, to your dad? And it's like, oh, because of this, because he doesn't understand it. And at the end, you kind of, you go around it, and at the end, it's pride, right? So, yeah, so maybe you're right and your dad's wrong. But does it really matter? He's your dad, right? He's, she, he's, she's your mom. Then just why not obey? And eventually they come. It's like, oh yeah, it's pride. I, mean, I know it's pride. I know I need to do it. Well, if you find what you need, go to the gospel in no better way than, no better place than in the passion to delve into that mystery and say, Lord, I can't stand it when people accuse me falsely. And yet there you are being accused falsely before the Sanhedrin before people who ate of the bread that you multiplied and you say nothing and you allow it to happen you've shown that you can flip the tables at the, the tables at the temple so you're not afraid you've shown that you've walked in the midst of a crowd of people who wanted to kill you and you were not afraid and you permit this to happen what is in the heart of a man who permits that to happen supreme humility Lord I want you to give me that or we go through the different moments, and as we go, 
we can see some of these, I like to think of first moment of that passion. Yes, the Stations of the Cross are a great summary, but there's these other moments that are a little bit outside. And I think, what's in the heart of a man that does such a thing? First of all, is this desire to spend this last supper with his disciples. And, and I'm thinking, what kind of friendship? I'm thinking of now that I'm moving, right? Uh, I think of the friends, the friends that I've developed over the last eight and a half years of Holy Spirit prep. Students, the families, some whose weddings I've celebrated, children I've baptized, um, relatives I've buried. And, and I can say, okay, I can relate to that because I can imagine what Christ must be knowing that he's, he's leaving. And he loves these men he spent three years with. He's taught them everything. He sent them out to do the work that he was sent to do. He sent them out to baptize. He sent them out to have people confess their sins. And he's prepared them. And then he leaves thinking, what if they don't persevere in their faith? What if they don't? And so we can have those worries. We can have that love and that uncertainty. How? Well, you have children, right? And you raise them and you go like, what if? What if? What else can I do? What's in the heart of a man who is in that moment? We can relate to Christ because we're in similar, we've all been in similar situations. We realize we don't have absolute control over somebody else. And we just have to let them go. So what does Christ do? First, he washes their feet as an act of charity. He says, love, how can I really double down and figure if, if I can just coat and cover and immerse and soak everything I've taught them in love, Maybe it'll stick. What a great lesson. Anything we've ever wanted to teach somebody, if we can just smother, dip it, cover it, everything in love, maybe it'll stick. It probably will. Or at least it's more likely that it will stick. And then he's God, so he knows everything. But at the same time, in his humanity, he's doing that. And Peter there goes first, and he washes his feet. And he moves along the way. And he washes, this is the thing, he washes Judas's feet. He does. He goes, and I have it on a good source that he went deep pedicure on him. Like, <laughs> just saying, what else could I do? Because he knows that he's going to betray him. And yet he's free. He doesn't have to betray him. But God is the mystery, right? He doesn't have to do it, but God knows that he will. So he goes in there, and he dries, and he goes between the toes, both feet. Right? And he's like... Judas, what else? We know that later in that passage in John, he says, whatever you need to do, do so quickly. And he leaves, and St. John says, and it was dark. But he never gave up on loving. What's in the heart of a man who knows he's going to be betrayed? Mine will be to lash out. That would be a natural reaction. And for him, it's to double down on love. And then, again, he's like, okay, what else? And this is, I think, defines Christ in his last moments. Okay, did the washing of the feet, not working for Judas. Uh, what else? And then he thinks, he's there in the Passover. He says, well, I want to leave, but I want to be with them forever. And he gives him the Eucharist. He decides, I'm not, I've multiplied bread. I've done that. I've turned water into wine. I've done that. They've seen it. They've eaten the bread. They've drunk of the wine. But I want that to not just be a miracle that's in their, in their past. I want a miracle that stays with them. And so in the Eucharist, he, he not only multiplies that bread, but he makes himself present multiple times in every single place. 
It's a man who's madly in love and saying, how much, what else do I need to know to show them that I love them? And he ordains them priests, even though he knows Peter will deny him three times. And that everybody will scatter. And Judas, a priest, will betray him. So you can never be too scandalized by priests who fail in their promise because, well, we should be scandalized. But it was there at the beginning. And it's no lack of love from Christ, that's for sure. So he loves Judas and he loves each one of them. And he's there thinking, what else can I do to show them how much I love them? And so he remains there. And it's beautiful. What a sign of love that in our beautiful, so I'm disappointed, especially with the uh, renovations happening in the church because I think I mentioned last time, this is a church when I was in college, coming here to Mass in the morning is where I kind of heard the vocation. And so I wanted to go in and then go to the Adoration Chapel. It's like, well, every time I come by, I have to make a visit and spend some time with Christ. And I'm thinking, you know, this might be the last time I'm here. So I go in and bless sacraments not there. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I'll have to come back at some other point before now in June because I was like, ah. Anyway, but to think that the same Eucharist that's, that's normally there in the Eucharist is the same Eucharist that Christ offered on that evening that he, he allowed, he instituted those apostles to celebrate when he had nothing else to give, he gives him his very self as prefigurement, prefigurement to give him himself on the cross. The same Eucharist here, the same Eucharist, Holy Spirit prep, the same Eucharist in a small village in Mexico, where Nolan and I have gone to missions, and the same, the same Eucharist in some bunker in Ukraine right now being celebrated. Mm. It's the same Eucharist in every single place, and every single place being a, a confirmation of God's love in the midst of evil the world what's in the heart of a man so he has that he has that moment and then he goes off to pray into the garden what's in the heart of a man who knows he's about to be betrayed at that point he knows he's been betrayed and we have that image so, so powerful of Christ praying and what does he want to do he wants to be with his friends his humanity sure. I, not only to be with them because he wants in his humanity their support but to be able to teach them how to pray, to give them an example. Christ is both the source and the final end of our joy, where we want to go, but he's also the model on how to get there. So in so many things, when they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray, he says, when you pray, say, our Father. He gives them, when he washes the feet of the apostles, he says, what I have done for you, you should do for one another. He's constantly the teacher. So even in prayer, He's trying to teach them to don't fall asleep, that you may not undergo the test, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have that image of him sweating blood. What's in the heart of a man who knows he's been betrayed and his best friends just don't get it? They just don't get it. They don't. His heart is to love more. So we know the story, and then that picks up where the stations of the cross kind of pick up. He's, he's betrayed. He's before Pilate, and he has to confront these different scenes. We don't have the time to go through each one, but I think stopping on that first one of the, the, the denial, the condemnation by Pilate, as we go in that moment, from a moment of how quickly things have changed, he has gone from walking into Jerusalem triumphantly with the waving of palms, people saying Hosanna to the son of David, to just in a matter of a few days, to be there before Pilate, right next to somebody who is a ruler, but a false ruler, and being there as a condemned prisoner. 
What's in the heart of a man as he stares at the man who's going to condemn him? There's a, in my heart, would be, again, lashing out and rebellion. But there's this meekness of knowing that you actually have no power over me. When I look at my own difficulties, if I see the world that way, that, you know, oftentimes when uh, at school talking to students, when they have problems forgiving, which is, who doesn't have a problem forgiving, right? It, and to be able to say, I often say, do you think the person that, that you had this problem with years ago that you were not able to forgive and it still bothers you? Do you think today they're thinking about you? They're like, no, Father, they're probably not thinking about me. So it's, it's holding you, you have an anger towards this person, and they're not even, they're going about their day. And they're not, honestly not even giving you a thought. So this is just on you, to be able to ask God, okay, this person, I don't want this person, this person cannot have power over me. It's in the past. And I want to be able to look at that person, perhaps, as, as our Lord looks at Pilate. To love him and to, to be there and to say, you know, Pilate, you can change this. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. You're going to do what you're going to do. And my happiness does not depend on you. And yet we're not tested at the level of Christ. Now, by comparison, that's why I think it's so powerful. The passion is that our challenges are so smaller, so much smaller compared to his. So because they're so big... It's just like, it kind of slaps us in the face, like, snap out of it. You're not even being condemned to death, right? It's a simple thing, right? Whatever it is, a misunderstanding, and to move on. Or, in that context, how difficult it is for us to move on, when we have this idea that this person might have a bad opinion about me. And to be able to go back and say, I really want to say, so what? So what? I can't say it yet, but at least I want to want to say it. God can meet us there, by the way. If you just at least want to want to say it, he, he'll, he'll help you get there. There are so many things we can do to, to journal those things out, to write those prayers, to write those away and say, Lord, I put this in your hands. We recently had a beautiful retreat for our, our senior, well, for our juniors. Uh, Kairos retreat, some other schools do them, and maybe you're, you know how those work, but they're, they're beautiful because they're, they're based on student testimonies. And, uh, the seniors, a group of eight seniors, led the retreat for the juniors, and they did an amazing job. I think that's why it's also a good time for me to leave. After seeing that, I was thinking, these kids are such good hands. They're, they're awesome. And, but these seniors, I've, they did everything, and they get these talks, and they had an activity where they asked the kids, the, the juniors, to write their worries. And, and it's amazing how eager they were to write down things and to put them in this moment for the Blessed Sacrament to just get rid of those. And then later they would talk about how, how healing it was to be able to write those out and put them away and just turn them over to Christ with simplicity. And I'm thinking, man, I've spent so many theology classes trying to explain the importance of forgiveness and then these seniors come in and just give a little talk and it clicks because they're more relatable. Uh, but the beautiful thing is that, that God worked and there it is at the foot of the cross, the foot of the Eucharist. They leave their worries. So there are these, these moral sufferings which in many ways, are worse than the physical ones. It can be for a lot of people. The moral suffering of knowing you're being betrayed, that people are condemning you, the betrayal of being abandoned, the betrayal of, of knowing that people speak ill about you. The moral ones, those are the, I would argue, those are the harder ones. The physical ones, we all know one day we're gonna die, so physically, we've all suffered physically in one way or another, some more than others. I'm not saying they're easy, but we can, 
there's a context where we know, well, we know that eventually, as, you, as we age, right, you have different, different things hurt. Uh, you know, I went for a run yesterday, and many things hurt today. Right? It's just, <laughs> and it's life, and it didn't hurt before. And that's life. There's an acceptance that that's going to happen. The moral suffering, that one's hard. That one's, that one's it's a lot harder. And so as we move and we start looking at Christ's physical sufferings, we realize that even for him, there's a, there's a moral aspect as well in his physical suffering. So he's suffering both. And then we begin with that as we're walking in all of uh, Holy Week with our Lord to be able to stop, take the time needed to stop and to pause on those. And if you can be before the Blessed Sacrament, if you can find those moments to slowly, uh, if you can do the way of the cross and it's you got 15 minutes, that's what you have. But even sometimes spreading it over the day or maybe every, every day, take two of those stations and just pause and continue to that question, what's in the heart of a man who is burdened with a cross unjustly? What is in the heart of a man who is scourged viciously by the people? And with the blood that he's spilling, they are being saved. Or salvation, the door of salvation is being opened. We don't know how that turned out for them, but the door is open. What's in the heart of a man at every step of the way? When he's laden with the cross, symbolic again, I mean, real, but also a model for us to see what our crosses are. When we enter, when I enter religious life, we have, gosh, I, don't, I mentioned this before, it might have been somewhere else, I don't, it might have been here the last time I spoke, but one of the, we at every religious order adds, adds a little unique thing to their professions mass. Some are vested when they make their vows. Some have their, you know, so some of the sisters have their, their uh, a veil put over their head and that's their thing. So each one has a thing. In the Legion, Legion of Christ, there's a beautiful, it's a simple ceremony, but the normal profession of vows, when you make your vows, you get rid of you make your vow of poverty in particular, you have nothing. You literally own nothing. Right? The, there's one thing, and a religious order can make this exception. So we have one exception, and there's one thing that I have that I can say is mine. And I'm living this, again, with a new assignment. As I move on, I realize, gosh, my car belongs to the school. My computer belongs to the school. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to walk to, to my next assignment. I'll figure it out. But, but it's interesting. It's a reality of I have what I have in a suitcase and go. Two suitcases, yeah, because I have some books. But I'll get it in there. And, but yeah, it's a reality that about poverty is very beautiful. Certainly there are things that I use, right? So, and it's, nobody wants to have my socks, so I'm sure I can keep those. <laughs> but what, the one thing that we own, that we can say that's mine, I don't simply use it, it's mine. It's a crucifix that's given to us. And when it's given, uh, we go up to our, the superior, the general director of the congregation, or one of the major superiors who's receiving our vows, he gives us the cross, and then we say, Hail, O cross, our only hope, and kiss the cross. And then you walk back to your pew. Then at the offertory, you go to the back of the church, and each new professed religious grabs one of the small hosts, and during the offertory, they walk up, and the priest is waiting with the patent, and each one lays his host on the patent as a, to be put on the altar as an oblation. And that host, in a voice represents the new religious who's laid down his life. At least that's his intention. A lot of times we take our life back, but we try not, right? So we're laying down my life, the only thing I have is a cross. And that, that phrase, which actually, hail across our only hope, we totally plagiarize. It comes from 
uh, not plagiarizing, it's part of the spirituality of the church, but the ones who are known for that, and it's kind of their, their motto are the Holy Cross Fathers, they run Notre Dame University, and they, they, they have that all over their, their churches, Ave Cruz Es Unica, Hail Cross, our only hope, it's a beautiful phrase. And so I think about that anytime there's a cross in our life, not just the physical one, but that moral one, to be able to say, to recognize that my cross is dealing with this person Halo cross, my only hope. And kiss it, right? And to say, embrace it. And the moment we embrace the cross, we recognize it, we embrace it, all of a sudden it becomes lighter. The more we pull away and reject it and push it back, it's just heavier and heavier and you can't get rid of it. It's tied to you. And you're like, no, no, uh-uh. Not dealing with this person, person shows up again. Uh, I'm going somewhere else, person shows up, right? It's no getting rid. But the moment I say, okay, this is my cross, Hail cross, my only hope. Don't say that out loud, by the way, to the person, right? <laughs> Not a good idea. You know, hail, hail, cross, my only hope. Look who showed up. That's just internal in prayer to bring it in. It's okay. And whatever it is, right? And sometimes the physical and the spiritual, they do affect us because it's not just the physical pain of a condition that we might have, but then it becomes the anger that I can't do the things that I want to do. The anger that I have to ask for help. Oh, man. Tell you as men, really, really hard. I remember being in seminary. It's like I, I had to get a surgery, and I was bedridden for a, for a few days. And sometimes the brother who was supposed to bring the meals forgot, and, and you're like, you can't get up, and you're like, I'm not gonna ask for help. I'm just gonna stay right here. Nope, I'm not gonna. I'll deal with it. I'm tough. I'm tough. But in fact, it's like just be humble. Be ask for help. Ask for help. And but we we have to have the humility to ask for help. And to be able to, yeah, to recognize that in those moments. So sometimes the physical can bring about that effort, the, the need to elevate the spiritual. And we go in those fall, the fall of Christ on the way to the cross, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, all these different moments of, of physical crosses that should then to bring us to, to the spiritual, the moral, and then ask, what is in the heart of a man who, Lord, that's what I need in my heart. The expression, what would Jesus do, is focusing too much on the final results. The real thing, if I were to make a wristband, is what is in the heart of Jesus? Or what would Jesus see? What does Jesus see when he sees those two men coming over to scourge him? And we, I say two because those, the Shroud of Turin, kind of by forensics on it, seems like there were two people. It's fascinating. We could talk about the Shroud of Turin. Some of that's definitely something to... To, to explore. I don't know if you're ever up and coming, but St. Brendan's has a beautiful exhibit on the Shroud of Turin, a permanent exhibit, and you can see a lot of the signs behind it. It's fascinating. But what is it that, that uh, the Christ sees? He looks at them and he loves them. He cannot but love them. Because God is love. There's no, there's no other option. What's in the heart of a man who loves his executioners, those his torturers? And to finish up, I'm going to pick up on something I said at the beginning about what else can I do? What else can I do? He already gave us the commandment of love. He gave us the Eucharist, and with the Eucharist, the priesthood, for sure. But then there on the cross, and in the, the movie The Passion of the Christ, there's a beautiful scene that's added. It's not there, so it, uh, Mel Gibson takes lines from the book of Revelation and puts them in a spot 
where we don't usually see it. And one of us falls, he's there, and when he's trying to get up, he looks and he sees his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who's been walking along the way of the cross. And, and he looks at her and he says, Behold, I make all things new. And he continues. And that's in the, the book of Revelations where the line comes from. But we do know from the cross, he looks at the, at the mother and to, the, and to his beloved disciples. He says, Behold your mother, behold your son. This man does not tire of giving. If I soak everything in love, will they persevere? Will they persevere in their friendship with God and their faith? He has nothing else. He can barely breathe. And he looks and he says, my mother, that's who I can give to those who believe in me. And he looks at the beloved disciple, behold your mother to the mother, behold your son. And so we have the blessed mother when we cannot carry our crosses, she's there by our side, especially those moral crosses. She knows a thing or two. Crosses that are, our crosses sometimes are seeing the crosses of others and not being able to do anything. I think that's, I don't know, in my mind, those are some of the hardest. Again, I keep going back to school, I'm passionate about the school I've been working at, but I see it sometimes you, you sew and you see people making bad decisions and they're suffering and you can't do anything about it. More so when you realize it's, when you see a kid suffering and it's the parents who are making bad decisions that are causing the kid to suffer and you really can do nothing about it because the parents are not there in front of you. And you just, you see it and you suffer with and that's, that's compassion, suffer with. And that's what you do, you learn to suffer with somebody. Our Blessed Mother knows a thing or two about suffering with somebody being unable to do anything, being there at the foot of the cross. So when you're stuck in the, in the difficulties that life brings and the crosses that God permits, or you're stuck in your prayer, you don't know where to go in your prayer, always call upon the Blessed Mother because that was the last gift that, that Christ gave us. He gave us the commandment of love. He gave us the Eucharist. He gave us his mother. It's so beautiful that in every church, one of the, the I don't know if this is mandated or not, but that's a matter of fact. Any church is always the, the tabernacle and the statue of Mary is always nearby or an image of Mary is always nearby. She's always pointing us to the sun, bringing us to the sun. Even when we don't, when we don't see him, she points us and she says to us, Be, do whatever he tells you. So we go into Palm Sunday. I think I was, this is one, one Sunday that there is so much to reflect on. So that's why I say take the whole week, break it into pieces. Some of these things, it's fascinating how the liturgy says, you know what, spoiler alert, we're going to tell you exactly what happens on Sunday already. So as you go into the week, you're going to hear it again. But there it is, full disclosure, this is what's going to happen. Buckle up, and then hear it on Sunday, live it on Sunday, pray it on Sunday, this coming Sunday, and then relive it slowly again, all through Holy Week, especially during the Tritum, so that that Easter Sunday would be all the more joyful and be all the more there to reward for our practices of penance and charitable works. Thank you so much. Let's finish with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many graces in this Lenten season, but above all and always for the gift of your Son. In him you speak to us in human language and reveal to us the mysteries of the life of the Trinity. Above all, you teach us to give unconditionally with great generosity. We ask you to be apostles of the Eucharist, a 
apostles of charity and apostles who listen and go by the hand of your heavenly mother. With their help, we ask you to persevere not only during Holy Week and the different Holy Weeks and Triduums of our own life, but to persevere to that Easter resurrection where we'll be with you forever. And asking her help, we also invoke her intercession as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, Father. Okay, so now I'm really excited that we got to have Father Juan today. Um, is there any questions? For any questions, do you have five minutes? Yes, absolutely. Any anything y'all want to chat about? I was glad that you m mentioned Ukraine and uh, the the visual of the thought of them in a bunker somewhere with one little stale piece of bread or whatever they've got to make the Eucharist present. I mean, do you have any additional thoughts? Or I mean, a lot of what you said actually talking about, you know, the crosses, whatever's happening in our life and how I love that. Yeah. Tell yeah, us. And that's one of, those, one of those moments where we see suffering that we can do so little about. We can send supplies, we can do, but what we need to really do is stop the bombing, right? And yeah. we can't do anything about that. Right. And uh, I'm sure maybe you've seen it just even this morning, I was looking at as the Russians have moved away or retreated for the time being, mm -hmm. just seeing the pictures and the destruction of maternity wards being bombed. Uh, horrors that you can't, you just can't imagine in this day and age happening. And, and, this, uh, and those are the ones that, those are the, the, the sufferings that cry out to heaven. And you, the one thing you have is that Christ is there. He's suffering with them. And it's a mystery. There's nothing we can do about it. But we, we invoke our, our blessed mother and say, well, you know, we, we, we pray for peace. We pray for that the suffering that's, that these people will, will be consoled. It's hard to say, you know, for many other things, we, we typically say somebody's hurt to offer it up, right? It would seem so out of, out of time to say, oh, offer it up. Oh, I, yeah, this is beyond that, right? It's, it's an injustice. Certainly, I'm sure there's an offering that united with the passion of Christ. What a... What a Triduum and Holy Week they're going to live. Mm. And they've been living for a few weeks now. And for us, it's to get perspective in our own lives out of that. That, that we have our, our biggest challenges, our gas prices went up, right? And in the big picture of life, it's, it's nothing. We, there's no lack of, I mean, there's, it's a totally mm -hmm. different perspective. But I, I think to be able to Unite a few years ago, one of the, if, as you know, the Colosseum, every year the Holy Father does these stations of the cross in the Colosseum. And they're written by different people. And a few years ago, and I wish you can look it up, you might find it, but they were, they get different themes in one year that made a point of really highlighting at every station uh, a place where the church was persecuted. And they had somebody from that place write that meditation. So it is very beautiful. And it became really alive because what they're writing about is what they're living. I think even for us to be able to see the way of the cross through the people suffering in Ukraine, to be able to say their crosses, their condemnation. Pilate, who's Pilate in that story? I think we all can think of, right? Condemning the innocent. And to see it, to see it like that, how history repeats, but to know the end of the, the way of the cross that there is the resurrection and, and their suffering is, is not in vain. 
we have to do whatever we can to make it stop. Beautiful that it seems the whole world is on the same page, right? Oh, okay, we gotta do something. We can argue about what, can, what else can be done, but some of those are literally above my pay grade, but our pay grade, some, a lot we don't know. Um, and there's a lot of prudence, but we can pray as well for our leaders to be, to be prudent, courageous, prudent, right? And to do the right thing, never out of fear, not out of vengeance, seeking the common good. And that's, I don't know how you arrive to that as a world leader without prayer. So let's, let's hope that our world leaders, all of them, regardless of country, political party, whatever it is, that they have that in their hearts and that God touches their hearts as well to do this, this, the right thing with, with courage and great love. But I don't know what else to say about that. It's just a, yeah. it's a difficult one. Thank you, Father. Oh, you're very welcome. Oh, good. And, uh, yes. Father, I've always been curious about the man that, um, that got to help Jesus carry the cross. Was it just the, like in some gospels it says somebody from the fields they just got him to come? Simon of Cyrene. Right? And yeah. so what so, was his role? The, the, it I says mean, that he was in town in the city. It's Passover, so like many Jews, they were coming in. He was from Cyrene, which is outside, and he was coming in for the Passover. The reason most scholars say he gets mentioned by name, and he says it's the father of Alexander and Rufus, and we have no idea who Alexander and Rufus are, is that it's, it very likely is there because Alexander and Rufus became early leaders of the early church. So for the, the gospel, that gospel was probably written in the year 65, somewhere around there. So for readers of the time, in the 60s and 70s of the first century, they would have been like, oh, Alexander and Rufus. Oh my gosh, that's crazy that it was their dad. And we're like, we don't know who Alexander and Rufus are. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's a detail that that's, most scholars agree that that's why it's there, which is kind of neat that it points a very historical thing and makes the, the Gospels even more believable, even at a, in a scholarly sense. Yeah. But he was happy to do it. I mean, he was, that, I've always wondered, like, did they just... Him to do it, so or? yeah, he was forced into doing it. It uh -huh. wasn't in the initial moment; it wasn't voluntary. Uh -huh. But because his, if so, if his children became church leaders, oh, that means that a conversion happened. And so that's the story can be said or understood. No reason to not see it this way is that in carrying the cross, his heart was changed. He saw that an innocent man was being accused. Again, in the movie The Passion of the Christ, that's the angle he takes. And it comes out. You can see where at one point he's being shoved, Christ is being shoved down, and all of a sudden Cyrene, uh, Simon of Cyrene pushes back on the soldiers. It's like, can't you see? Like he can barely walk, and he, he takes more of it, more of the cross upon himself. So it's a conversion, which again is a beautiful lesson that in carrying crosses with Christ, that's what happens to our hearts when we embrace the cross, we make it our own. All of a sudden, it becomes lighter and it's meaningful. Great question. Yeah, so there, one that I really like, and it's a mix of, <coughs> of scholarly, but also reflections that, are, that help you in your prayer. Sometimes the very scholarly things, you get lost in like, okay, well, that was you know, the 10 different meanings of the Greek word mathetes or something, where you're like, that helps me nothing. But there's one called Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. It's in different volumes. You can get those on Amazon or just from their website. Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. And it's written by different authors of different books. So far, they have the whole New Testament. I don't think they've... And they've gone little by little publishing them. But they have already the whole New Testament. So you can find certainly the Gospels. And then they'll have, for some of the smaller letters, it'll be a number of them together. 
Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. Very, very helpful. It kind of goes line by line, and at the end of a chapter, we'll have a reflection. It links with other, you read a passage, it'll point to other passages you can use as reference, and also have a catechism number that's relevant to that passage. So it's really prayer-wise, straight-up prayer commentary. I really like the book, The Better Part. Maybe some of you are familiar with it by Father John Bartunic. He's a legionnaire of Christ. And he went for every passage of the four Gospels. He wrote a, a reflection, a four-part reflection, and then group questions at the end. So it's a huge, it's about this thick. Great resource. You can also get it by book. It's the four Gospels, so you can get them individually. It has a great introduction on how to pray. Excellent. If I want to, somebody asks me, how can I learn how to pray, I will point into that. And it's The Better Part by John Bartunic. And then, lastly, one I'm reading now, less academic, and again, more motivational, uh, is Peter Kreft, if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He came out with a, a book called Food for Soul, and Year C is out, and it has a reflection on every Sunday gospel, and as well, like, important holy days are in there. And you'll have a commentary on the first reading, the second reading, and the gospel. Food for thought? For soul. Food for the soul, I think it's called. But Peter Kreft is published by Word on Fire. Bishop Barron's uh, group. So those are a few that, that one I'm using now and I like it. It's, uh, it's, I'm a fan of Peter Kraft. I like his way of, of talking and thinking. And so I find that very helpful. Those are a few. Let us know if you need a ride to your new assignment. I don't care. Like, <laughs> 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 we don't see right. Yeah, if you see somebody walking <laughs> in the cassock with a bag and just, yeah, you know, it's cool. No, but I'll, yeah, so I get to, That'll be the part, like, packing up after 10 years. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, oh, my gosh. Say a prayer for me, but, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll send a, I'll put an up, update, at least on social media, whatever, where I'm going, and it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's a university. It's not a Catholic university, but I, I like That's the challenge. Awesome. I like a, going to a secular world. That gets me excited. Uh, it's very secular, and, you know, something exciting about St. Peter arrived to Rome one day, and there was not a single Christian there. <laughs> <laughs> and we have St. Peter's Basilica, all right? There you go. So, <laughs> well, as a religious priest, uh, our diocese, in a way, is the world, so we get assigned to it. And we typically are missionaries, right? Sometimes not necessarily missionary in a village somewhere far away, but that's mission territory. And if uh, and it is a prudential judgment, right? You say, and that's what, if you ask the bishops, we've talked about it between. Maintenance and evangelization. Right. And it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Because if you go all in just taking care, then we're not making the church grow. And so, and it's a, you know, it's a prayer. And so there's a Catholic center there that's thriving. Um, and that's the priest, I'm spoiled, the priest who was there before, was there for 14 years, a Franciscan priest. And he set up an amazing, I feel like, oh man, you've done all the work. I'm just gonna slide in. And so I'm very grateful for him. And he's very, it's beautiful, so detached. He said, uh, you know, I always work as, as all religious do. Wherever you were assigned, work like you're never going to be changed, knowing that you can be changed. So he's built this amazing thing, and now he's like, okay, I'm leaving. Totally detached. What a great example. So it's helped me leave this job. Okay, if he can do it, Father can do it, I can do it. What's so great about that? That's wonderful. I'm yeah, excited. yeah. And nervous, but excited. Yes. What is, who determined? If a university is within a diocesan geography, mm-hmm. is it the diocese that determines? I'm wondering why the Franciscans had to leave 
Georgia, for example. Okay, so in both, it's, they're different, so that, those were the, it's a similar, those were the Francis, the Friars Minor. It's a different group of Franciscans, but it's the same reason. They're low on numbers. And for Franciscans, they discern, they prayed about it. It's like, look, it's more important that we be together than one Franciscan there, one there, one there, because Franciscan spirituality is about, a big part is giving witness as a community, as a group of friars at work. And I thought that was hurtful, but, but beautiful. They say, you know what, it's more important than doing stuff is to be true to our charism. And they have to be together. So they're consolidating and they, and it's hard for them to leave like it was in Georgia. I think Clemson as well, they have a similar situation. And, and they, they need to move. But God, I'm, I think they're convinced, I, I would agree with them, that they'll bear more fruit together. And maybe that time will turn if they, they're together as a family. And then that will attract young men to say, look at these friars. They're, they inspire. I want to be like that. So, but yes, it belongs to the diocese. So the bishop there said, well, they're leaving. Um, can you send somebody to take over? And honestly, we had, to, we had nobody, but that's where the whole thing with leaving the school now. Uh, it's like, well, let's, so we're rearranging. We don't have extra people, but it seems like the right thing to do, so. We'll see. Thank you so much, and please pray for me. I'll be the Legionaries of Christ. We have our headquarters in Atlanta, so we always end up coming back. Yay. So, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Take the invitations. Remember how difficult it is to be younger.